Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Now, the idea of someone putting his hands on children to pray for them, that's not foreign. That's not foreign to the Bible because that's what Jacob did. That's what the the father Jacob did. He put his hands on Joseph's children. We're going to see that. We're going to come to Genesis 48, 14. Genesis 48, 14, where it says, And Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it upon Ephraim's head, who was the younger, and his left hand upon Manasseh's head. Those were Joseph's children. And this is what these parents wanted the Lord Jesus to do. Just like Jacob put his hands on his grandsons there. The Lord Jesus wanted, the parents wanted the Lord Jesus to put his hands on their children and pray for them. It's such a precious picture. It's such a precious picture because the picture of parents bringing their children who are not yet capable of reaching their hands, little hands out to God. And so, so parents are asking the Lord Jesus to reach his hands out to them. And that's what parents do when they bring their little children to church. And, 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 and so they can learn about God. They can have God in their lives. And when their children who are not yet able to reach out their hands to God, and these parents bring them to the, and they're asking the Lord to reach his hands down to the children, that's a picture of intercessory prayer. That's what we do when we intercede. When we intercede for others, oftentimes we're asking the Lord to reach to those who are not able to reach out to him. That's what intercessory prayer looks like, especially for the lost. And, and, and all we can say about these parents who brought their children to the Lord is that these are smart parents. These are very smart parents because they knew that the highest priority for their children was to get close to the Lord Jesus. These, these parents could not have done better for their children than to bring them to the Lord. And parents could not do worse for their children than to not bring them to the Lord today. And it breaks my heart today to see, to see children raised without God. We have a whole generation that's grown up without God and another generation that is growing up now without God. It's the grand experiment of the devil that had the devil has put into the minds of these parents, the grand experiment to see this is what Europe has been engaged on, the great experiment to bring up generations without God. You know, Sunday school was not originally instituted for adults. Sorry to say, folks. <laughs> and Sunday school was not originally instituted for children for Christian homes because it was the Christian homes who were the, that was the center for the teaching about God. So there was no need for Sunday school for adults and for children because, they, because the teaching was in the homes. 
Sunday school was instituted for children from non-Christian homes so that those children could learn about God. Sunday school was an outreach to the lost children to give them the teaching that Christian children's already received in their, in their homes. And it's unbelievable today that child evangelism fellowship that should be flooded with volunteers for teachers now has a large number of schools right here in San Diego where permission has been granted by those public schools to allow children to be taught about God on the public school campuses, and there are no teachers. There are no teachers to be found, no teachers for the after-school five-day clubs or even vacation Bible school. This is the greatest need for the future of our country. The greatest need for the future of the U.S. is not to teach children more science or, or more literature or more arts. The greatest need for our country is to teach them more God. Why? Because Hosea 4.6 is turning out to be true of our country. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because thou hast rejected knowledge, I also will reject thee. And we're experiencing this type of destruction from within, from a lack of knowledge of God, a people today who don't know who God is. It says in Amos 8.11, Amos 8.11, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will send a famine in the land. Not a famine of bread, nor a famine of thirst for water, but of hearing of the words of the Lord. So we're experiencing today a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. This is not to say that people don't know something about the Bible. It's not to say that that people have not been exposed to the Bible, but there is a difference from knowing about the Bible and hearing the words of the Lord in the Bible. And there's a difference between knowing what the Bible is about and actually hearing God speak through the Bible to the soul. And that's what there's a famine of in our land today. And these, these parents, they understood this need for their children to be close to the Lord Jesus. And so they bring them, they bring their children to the Lord Jesus. What a picture this is. This is what good parents do. They care for their children. What a picture this is of care. What we should do also, Peter made this promise, uh, Peter made this statement about the promise of salvation when he said in Acts 2.38, Acts 2.38, Peter said unto them, repent ye, be baptized every one of you in the name of the Lord Jesus, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for this promise is unto you and to your children, and to your children. It lays an obligation on them, a responsibility. God wants the children to be saved. He told that. The prophet Isaiah told that to Israel when he said in Isaiah 44.3, Isaiah 44.3, he said, I will pour water upon him that is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon thy seed and my blessing upon thine offspring. That's the next generation. Reminds me one time I was talking to a a lost person and he just had a baby. And I told him, well, what you need to do for that baby is you need to get saved yourself so that you can then bring your child to the Lord. Now, the disciples, they, they, they were trying to stop the children from coming, and, 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 and they didn't want that. And, and, and now the question becomes, well, I wonder how old these children were that are being referred to in this passage, Mark. I wonder, were they 12-year-olds? 
Well, we can get an idea how old they were when we look at Mark 10, 13, because they're called young children, young children. And then the Lord refers to them in the next verse, Mark 10, 14, he calls them little children. And then the next verse in Mark 10, 15 says that he took them up in his arms. So since he took these young little children up in his arms, it leads us to believe they were young. I mean, no, no, you bring, you have, a, you have plural children, you're going to take them in your arms. So how old are they? About one to four years old, somewhere in that range, one to four years old. That's the age group that the Lord is referring to, maybe one to four years old. He's speaking of one to four-year-olds, and he says that every person needs to be like a one to four-year-old in receiving the kingdom of God. Now, you know, and, and he says, unless you become like a one to four-year-old, you can't enter heaven. I mean, imagine that. No one can go to heaven unless they become like a one to four-year-old. The one to four-year-olds is that right now, they're the ones who are, uh, the people in heaven are like one to four-year-olds. That's the age group. A person has to be, here's what he said, Matthew 18.3, Matthew 18.3, and said, verily I say unto you, except you be converted and become as little children, same term, little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. That's what he said. He said, you gotta become like a one to four-year-old to enter heaven. So when you think, I want you to think now of a one to four-year-old. What attributes do you see in a one to four-year-old that you think the Lord was referring to? I don't think he was referring to temper tantrums. <laughs> Unless you throw a temper tantrum, you can't get into heaven. I don't think so. So what is it about the one to four-year-olds, apart from the temper tantrum, that, that the Lord would be referring to when he says you got to become like that? you got to have that attribute to go to heaven. What do you think? receiving, receive, that would refer to an openness, an openness on the part of a, of a young child. The Lord holds out this openness as something we should be like, an openness. You know, children are like a, a white piece of a, a, a blank paper, you know, and, 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 and they're just waiting for, for to be written on. You know, they open up and they, they, they're shown and they're taught and, and they don't come with these preconceived ideas and these prejudices, you know. And that's the way the Lord wants us to be when we come to Him. When in the Bible, in the morning, for example, we open the Bible, He wants us to come without preconceived ideas and without prejudices, with a heart that's like an open white piece of blank paper ready for God to write the truths on the tables of our heart. And, 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 and then, uh, and then Diana has mentioned, Believe, believe. Children have a tremendous capacity to believe. I mean, tremendous. I mean, that's why a child's imagination is incredible. I mean, you tell a young child that God made everything, just believes it. You know, he doesn't get this troubled look on his face and struggling inside and come back to you. Well, can you reconcile that with Darwin's theory of evolution? <laughs> it just says it's very uncomplicated. Uh, capacity to believe. And that's the way God wants us to come to him, believing. If you told a child that, well, look, you know, God created everything in six literal days, the child wouldn't say, well, well, maybe we should get a new definition for day. Maybe we don't understand day. Maybe it's a billion years or, you know, he just believes it. And, and when we read the Bible, that's what God wants us to do. He wants us just to believe. And then you mentioned, it's been mentioned trust a couple of times. Children have a tremendous ability to trust. I mean, they know they, they know they're little. 
You know, they look up at us. We must look like towering giants. And they don't try to pretend to be grown-ups. They just look for help. And children have no trouble crying out for help. That's what a baby does when he's born. He's crying out. Anything is a problem. Whatever it might be, he's crying out. You know what blocks a person from getting help from God is they don't come to him. Why? Because of pride. Pride. Intellectual pride. Children don't have pride. I mean, and if a one-year-old problem has a problem, he's going to cry out. And, and, and the one-year-old is not going to sit there and say, well, let's see, I think I can figure this out for myself. Let me just, you know, I don't need any help from anybody. Just leave me alone. That's not what a child does. And in the same way, God wants us to cry out to him for help. I mean, he knows better than we do how much we need help. And he's waiting for us. He's waiting for us to call to him, as he says in Jeremiah 33.3, Jeremiah 33.3, where he says, call unto me. I'll answer you and show you great and mighty things that thou knowest not. And he says in Jeremiah 29, 12, then you shall call upon me. You shall go and pray unto me, and I'll hearken unto you. Children have this tremendous ability to cry out for help and to trust and depend. And then I think joy or happy, happy. That's true. Children are basically happy. You know, you don't see a child that's born depressed, you know, and whenever I see, it's amazing to me, whenever I see kids at, at Rady's Children's Hospital with cancer, or the kids at St. Jude's, you know, have cancer, they have deformed limbs, or they have missing limbs, and, and they're struggling to walk or play, they're happy. That's the amazing thing. They just look happy. I mean, every, everyone else is crying, you know, but the children are happy. They're just doing the best they can do, and they're, 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 they're happy with what they can do, and, and they're not sad for what they can't do. They're just trying... Like my two-and-a-half-year-old grandson, Colton, with leukemia, who today, right now, he's in Rady's Hospital. He's undergoing the worst mega-chemotherapy right now with intraspinal injections of vancristine and methotrexate, while at the same time getting high to 100 times more dose of methotrexate intravenously. And everybody is anxious around him. Him? He's just tired. He's sleeping. And then we remember the little three-year-old Ivy, you know, was going through the chemo for her leukemia. And, and from her perspective, it was like, oh, it's a bad day today. Oh, it's a better day today. I can play. And, and children are basically happy. And that's what God wants to see in our lives. He wants to see happiness. He wants to see what the Bible calls rejoicing. I mean, Moses commanded Israel to rejoice in Deuteronomy 16.11. Deuteronomy 16.11, Moses said, thou shalt rejoice. That's a command. Before the Lord thy God, thy, thou and thy son, thy daughter, thy manservant, thy maidservant, the Levi that is within thy gates, the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow that are among you. And then King David gave the same command to the people when he said in Psalm 32, 11, Psalm 32, 11, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous. Shout for joy, all ye that are upright in heart. And Isaiah, Isaiah made a personal commitment to be happy and joyful when he said in Isaiah 61.10, Isaiah 61.10, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God before he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments. And Paul commanded us in Philippians 4.4, Philippians 4.4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice as if he had to say it again. Children have this tremendous capacity to be happy and glad. And there's another thing that, 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 that children have 
And that is, they have this tremendous capacity to live in the present. Children live in the present. They don't worry about the future. I mean, that's how kids can be happy because they're living in the present. You know, like, again, these kids with cancer, with leukemia, my, my grandson, he's got a three and a half year course of chemo ahead of him. Ten different chemos he's going to get in the spine, in the IV. We're all worried about his future. He's not worried about his future. He just lives in the present. It's either a day he feels bad or a day he doesn't feel as bad. Sometimes he plays. That's the child's ability to live in the present, free from the anxieties about the future. That's what God wants for us. He says, really, that's what the emphasis was when the Lord Jesus said, Matthew 6.25, Matthew 6.25, it's all about living in the present when he said, therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life that what you shall eat or what you shall drink for your, or, or nor yet for your body, what you shall put on. Is not the body more than meat, the body more than raiment? Look at the fowls of the air. They sow not, they neither do they reap, they don't gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are you not better, much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubic to your stature? Why take you thought for the raiment? He says, wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is cast in the oven, shall he not much more clothe you? Oh, you have little for it with faith. Therefore, take no thought saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Wherewith shall we be clothed? See, all these emphasis on the word shall is speaking about the future. It's worrying about the future. What's going to happen to me in the future? And our troubles, we have troubles that are new every morning. Every morning we have a new trouble. But you know what else is new every morning? What? God's mercies. See, Lamentations 3.22. Lamentations 3.22. It's of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They're new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good unto them that wait for him to the soul that seeketh him. It's good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. Our troubles, they're new every morning, but so are God's mercies. And they're what we should look at when the new trouble come and say, that's a new adventure. I wonder how God's going to help me through this trial. A new trial is a new opportunity to see a new mercy from God, and a new mercy from God is a new opportunity to praise him for that. The greatest mercies that came to Israel was when they were facing their greatest trials. I mean, just think of the parting of the Red Sea moments before they were going to be slaughtered by the Egyptian army. Now, another thing that children are very, uh, an attribute of children, is that they are aware when something is too great for them. You know, children, when the chair is too high, you know, they're not, well, some kids try to climb up to it. Most just say, no, that's too, I'm staying away from that, especially after they fall off at the first time. And, and, and that's what God wants to see in us. An awareness when something is too great, too much for us, and we back away. That's what David said, King David said in Psalm 131.1. Psalm 131.1, David said, Lord, my heart is not haughty, that'd be proud and arrogant, nor mine eyes lofty, neither do I exercise myself in, in, in great matters or in things too high for me. Surely as I have behaved and quieted myself as a child that is weaned from his mother, 
My soul is even as a weaned child. Okay, so that's what God wants to see in us. Children are they're 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 free from the anxiety of the future. They're open to to and believing and trusting. And so God uses them. God uses little children. He says that in Matthew twenty one sixteen. Matthew twenty one sixteen says, Jesus saith unto him, Yea, have you never read out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou perfected praise? You know what that verse means? That verse means that not only are we to teach children, we are to listen to children because God speaks through them. Because children have all these attributes, these great attributes, God loves them. And, and that's why the Lord gave children this great welcome in Mark ten fourteen, when he says, suffer the little children to come unto me, forbid them not. That's a great welcome. It's extended to any adult who will become like a one to four year old and have those same attributes. So these parents in Mark 10, 13, they wanted the Lord to touch uh, their children or put his hands on them. And what does he do? Not just touch them. He takes them into his arms. I mean, what a scene of the great Messiah taking these little children into his arms. It's the same scene that we have of him in Isaiah 40, verse 11. Isaiah 40, verse 11 said, he shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arms and carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. I mean, that's a great scene, the great Messiah taking children in his arms. Now, by contrast, the disciples, they protested and they said, they looked at the little children and said, oh, no, dirty diapered, sniveling, unsophisticated. <laughs> they thought, these children are always in the way. They're disturbing us from our higher conversations with the Lord. We can't let this door open. There's just too many children in Israel. They'll just be bringing them left and right. We got to nip it all in the bud and say no. Now, that, that, that spirit the Lord was very displeased with. He was very displeased with their attitude toward children because the attributes that children have are the attributes that the Lord wants to see in those who come to him. And that's the reason why he calls the Jewish people the children of Israel. And this is the first time we see it here in verse 21. And from this point on, the Jewish people will be called the children of Israel 647 times in the Bible. That sounds like a lot of times because the Lord wants the people to come to him with the attributes of a one to four year old, with an openness, with a believingness, with a trust, trustfulness, with a happiness, with a living in the present, with an aware of things that are too, too great for them. Okay. Now we come to verse 21. Joseph now, he sends away his brothers. He says to them, and, and it says the children of Israel did so and, and Joseph gave them wagons according to the commandment of Pharaoh, gave them provision for the way. And to all of them, each man, he gave changes of raiment. And to Benjamin, he gave 300 pieces of silver and five changes of raiment. So Joseph gives them wagons for transport, just as Pharaoh had commanded. And Joseph gives them, give them what they need for during the trip. And then in verse 22, it's interesting. He, he, he talks about clothing. He says, he changes of clothing, you know, verse 22. Well, what was that all about? Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. 
Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. Do you have fatigue or trouble getting out of bed or just getting through the day? Are you so tired you can't focus? Do you feel like your life is drained away? Do you have fibromyalgia headaches? I have good news for you. Our doctors at Scanabody's Imaging and Therapy can give you cellular ozone therapy. Why not get your energy back now by calling us at 1-888-529-9016 or visit us at treatmyfatigue.com. 